I was in a little singing group one time when I first started in church, and there was a guy that, uh, when he came up to the platform like this, he said, thank you, young people. And I said, you're welcome, old person. <laughs> and I didn't mean to say it where it could be heard, but it was. And uh, I don't know why I just thought about that, but thank you, young people, for that. That was good. If you're a guest, we're um, in the third week of a series called Filters, and the big idea about this series is that when temptation comes to you, it never just comes like, hey, I'm temptation, I'm trying to get you to sin because I know that's going to crash your life, it's going to do all kinds of damage around you and in you, it's going to separate you from the God you love and the people you love, and uh, it's just going to be terrible. So that's, that's my agenda. It, no, it never happens like that. It always comes kind of like, you know, we've said that when you take photos on your phone or if you Snapchat or uh, Instagram or something, you can put a filter on there, you know, and make it look a little better, a little different. That's the way sin usually comes to us, dressed up uh, to be more appealing uh, in the whole picture. So you don't get just the whole thing, it just tells you the first part of it. So that's what this series is about, and it's really like one message that's been chopped up into four pieces. And so if you've missed the first couple of messages, they're out there. Uh, on the World Wide Web intranet on the YouTube. So uh, you can go to the Google and find that. Um, today we're going to continue that idea and the emphasis today, that kind of the focus of where we are in this is how to make this really practical when it's time. You know, when temptation's there and now the last couple of weeks, you understand how it works, you understand what's going on. We're going to talk about that a little bit better or more today. But then what do I do with that? How? How do I get out of it, you know, in that moment, if you want to? You know, and sometimes we, it's like we hate sin, but we really like temptation. Uh, if you're done with that, you're, you're, you're finished playing games, how do you move away from that? You know, recently here at Calvary, we just had all new, we're kind of trying to spruce up a little bit in some areas and some of our subsystems uh, didn't work so good today when, when if you arrived and there were four fire trucks in the parking lot and you're a guest and you're thinking, wow, this church is burning down. No, we're not really burning down, we're just being flooded, actually. So anyway, we're trying to resolve all that and I know it's a little distracting, uh, but we're putting up new signage and we're painting and kind of doing some things this summer, getting ready for the fall. One of the things we've done is put up new exit signs. Aren't those spiffy? Aren't those cool? So like our electricity went out last night from about nine to five this morning and then our house alarm was going off and all of that. You probably, uh, I don't know if it was all over town, I live in West Knox in a mansion there, a very, very nice place, but um, I'm having exit signs installed in our house because I just think they're so cool and just to light up because we couldn't see and we're trying to do candles. I don't know what it was like for you, but these really help us out, uh, and you can see that. If you've ever been on an airplane, you know, and the attendant says the exits are, and they point you to where those, and, you, and you, the idea is for you to know ahead of time Maybe if you go to the Tennessee theater for a play or for a concert or even to a movie theater, you kind of note where the exits are. You don't wait until the building's on fire or something's happening and you think, wow, I wonder how you get out of here. Uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that my, my grandson says I just think is funny, probably nobody else will, but when he's ready to leave a specific place, like we're in a store or a restaurant, 
he will look around and he'll say, he's just three years old, and he goes, how do you get out of this place? You know, it's like, I'm done here. How do you get out of this place? You know, and, uh, so how do you get out of this place? How do you get out of that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about uh, today a little bit more is the exit signs uh, that God's put in your life because sin, and I, I debate on whether to say this because it sounds a little cheesy, but uh, it's true. Sin is like a cockroach. <laughs> if you put a light on it, uh, it, it's going to flee. And I'm just going to suggest that you consider today allowing the Holy Spirit to shine some light on those dark places in your life. Because as long as you keep it covered and it's hidden and it's in darkness, it's going to continue. So you're ready to shine some light, and that may mean exposing some of those temptations in a safe way or just keep hiding that. Let me pray for us. Father, we've been so distracted today by all kinds of things, particularly with our physical environment, uh, with the building. We want to thank you for this place. Uh, Lord, I thank you that those who have come before us uh, had wisdom and insight, and Lord, just to, to be able to give us such a, a comfortable uh place to meet and uh, I thank you for this and Lord we ask that you would bless this and like Kevin said earlier and in his comments Lord that you would help us to go forward and uh, get the, everything repaired and, and where it needs to be Lord we give you praise but we ask that today you would help us set all of that and everything else we probably brought into this room whether it's work problems relationship issues things going on in home Lord would you help us um, to emotionally and mentally just kind of put all of that on the back burner and really focus on what you want to do and how you want to speak into our hearts today and maybe even save us uh, in some extraordinary ways in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there is a text that maybe for those of you who read scripture and you've, you know, you've been reading the Bible for a while, you've probably become uh, somewhat familiar with because as, as a follower of Jesus, boy, this is one I... I found out about, oh, wow, this is really good news. And there's some encouragements uh, that's packed, that are packed away in this little piece of Scripture. So it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to begin at the 6th verse and go to the 14th verse. Kind of This is where, where, where we're going to be today. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I'll tell you who they is in just a minute. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 
And that, you know, he sums it up. You know, he's talking about all these issues, and he touches on several specific sins. And then, you know, he says, now here's the point. is flee from idolatry. Because that's the context that this was written in. Uh, the basic issue that was happening in the church at that time was that a lot of people had come out of you know, all kinds of different backgrounds and histories. There were some Jewish believers, there were Greek believers, there were Gentile believers, and there were all these places of worship uh, for the, the god of uh, Venus, I think the god of Venus, uh, Astaroth, uh, Ash, Ashpath, and I mean, there are all these things, and they would, they would have these elaborate worship services for them, and part of that, I won't even go into it, some of it is just ridiculously crazy, uh, but one of the things they would do is sacrifice meat. And so then you've got this meat. You know, they would barbecue all this food. And you think, now what do we do with it? So those who weren't into that religion said, well, looks like good meat to me. And they would eat that. So here's the situation. is You've got Christians who had come out of that background. And they're not a part of that anymore. But their friends are still in it. You know, their friends are still going to those places and doing those things and taking part in that. And then they invite them. Hey, we want you to come because after the worship, we're going to eat the meat. And so they go and they have this party and it's a big thing and there's you know lots going on and they eat the meat. And the, and the Christians are like, well, there's really nothing wrong with the meat. I think it's okay, but I'm, I'm really... Now, the Jewish believers were having more of a struggle because they're like, are you kidding? That's been offered to idols. Ugh, that's just... Why would you do that? Or they would see them with these pagan friends, I don't know how it's to say that, they're party friends, and they're going to those specific places, and they're thinking, I thought you'd become a Christian. I thought you'd come out of that, and that you're not doing that anymore. Well, I'm not. I'm just eating the meat with these guys. There's nothing wrong with that. So that was part of the situation. Another thing they could do, if you didn't want to eat there, just like today, you know, they had restaurant style, or you had carry out. No kidding. You had takeout all the way back uh, in the first century. So you could take some of the meat and wrap it up, take it home and eat it in private <laughs> so that nobody could see you and you were being a little less offensive to those who were you know, sensitive to that. So that's the, that's the situation. And Paul is trying to give advice because it's like, well, is that really sin or is it not? Just one of those areas, you know, when you follow Jesus, that's you're not sure about. Right, And there's probably some areas that come to your mind. And you think, well, what about this? Is it okay for a Christian to do this? And you think, well, technically the Bible doesn't say anything about it, but it's kind of weird or it just culturally or socially there's an expectation or something there. That's exactly what was going on here. And he refers back to these people. He gives them like a little history lesson real quickly. And he says, you know, they were doing this and here's what happened and they did this and here's what happened. And he said they would have these parties which would start off with a lot of food and drink, and then a lot more drink, and a lot more drink. And then there's this phrase, he says, well, and they rose up to play. And I thought, well, that's weird, because we're talking about adults. It's like, everybody's done eating. Let's go outside and play. That's not what they were doing. The word play is a reference to sexual play. Uh, it just the party would turn into like an orgy, and it's a reference back to Exodus 34, 6 to 8, you know, when they built the golden calf and part of that worship service, they would have up to like 500 or even a thousand prostitutes who were employed in this worship act with, you know, in one of these temples. I mean, it was just this really gross kind of a thing, but that was what the situation was, 
And it said, don't be like them and say you're a believer, but go to those places and then we wonder, what do you do in there? That's kind of what's going on. Well, in the scripture, there are uh, several encouragements. And there's three things I just jotted down. And sometimes I, when I speak, I speak from my iPad because it's backlit and I'm like an old person. And you can see it. I can make it the font, whatever. I can use, I use a 14-point Helvetica, okay? Then I can see it really well. Um, last night, our electricity went off, and I had handwritten these, so I'm not sure what, what this is. If somebody could read this for me. No, I'm kidding. But um, so this is kind of messy. But I did, I did just scratch out three encouragements uh, in my notes, and I just tore these off the legal pad and brought them here. One is this, that any temptation that you encounter, there's, there's a lot out there, right? But any temptation... Uh, that comes to you, he says, is common to human beings. You didn't invent this. You're not the first guy. You're not the first girl that's ever faced that. You're not totally unique, and you're not the first one. And I, I don't know if that, to me, that's encouraging because sometimes you think, oh, I'm so different and I'm weird, or well, I can't tell anybody this. I'm so ashamed because nobody's ever struggled with this or nobody's ever had this problem. Yeah. Probably a lot of the people in this room have had some of the, a lot of the same things you have. So that's, that's one of the good, a good thing or maybe just an encouraging thing is that you're not the first one to face this. It's okay. You're not, you're not off the chart bizarre, okay? <laughs> the second thing, I love this, is that the Lord is faithful. He's just faithful. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. Isn't that good to know that God takes that kind of action on your behalf? That he's established you, he's got you set in a safe place, and it says he'll guard you. He will guard you against the evil one. Uh, Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite all-time people, and he said this. He said, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. And we've talked about that from week one until now, that there's this idea he's holding back. If I don't take care of myself, nobody else is going to, even God. And that maybe he's not as good as I thought he was, because if he was, he would give you, you know, that boyfriend or this opportunity or why didn't I get to go there or do this or all my friends, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we think, well, it's God behind that. But the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And then the third thing is this, that he will not allow you to be tested beyond your breaking point. I know it doesn't feel like that all the time, does it? Sometimes you think, okay, he, he, maybe for everybody else, but for me, I'm, I'm at the breaking point. I, I cannot resist the temptation anymore. I'm, I'm kind of done. You're really not there. You've still got a little more juice, but you just don't know that. And the enemy's going to continue to put filters up and lie to you. So you, just, you think, I'm, I, I, I can't go any further. Have you ever run a race where, you know, you, you just think you're done and you've got nothing left? Uh, and this happened not too long ago for me because, you know, I, I don't go that far. But I, I went around and just thought, man, I'm kind of done. I'm going to have to. And then I could see, I just happened to come out to this place. Where you come around this curve on this building and you can see the finish. I think, oh, that's as far as I got to go? Yeah, I can do that. And you turn it up a little. You turn it up a little, and you and you and you, you kind of you find that there is more to you than what you thought was there. 
And here's like this little bonus. It says he'll provide a way out. Now, I've been a Christian now for several years, and that's always fascinated me because I always thought, well, is it like a trap door? Is there a button you can push? It's like an ejector seat, like now, Lord, and he's boom, and you're out of the situation. Yeah, kind of, sort of like that, but not exactly. So, they all are going down to the temple, and they're having this meat that's being offered. They're going with their friends, and that's kind of the issue. But then there's all these other issues and these temptations that come about. So, Paul uses this as an opportunity. It's kind of a platform to say, you know, as long as we're talking about this, yeah, this is, this is what's going on in the moment. But the bigger issue is your heart. And it's not just, is it okay to eat that? And, or, or should you, even though you could do it, you've got the liberty. Do you want to be a better person? Do you want to be a blessing to the people around you? Do you want to be somebody that's safe for others? Um, and as a guy who worked in youth ministry for years and years of my life, there are a lot of things that I felt like, uh, yeah, I'm free to do. As a follower of Jesus, clean conscience, I think I could do this or this. But I didn't and don't because I know that you guys are watching me. And if I do it this much, you're going to do it this much, and you're going to go home and say, well, Dan does. See, and then I've, I've led you into temptation, or I've, I've given you a reason. I'm your scapegoat. So that was the thing that Paul said. His conclusion was, yeah, if you want to, you're really kind of free to do that, but think about the people around you. As I said a moment ago, a large part of the church at Corinth were Gentiles. They didn't have the history. They didn't have the culture. They didn't know everything that the Jewish Christians already knew. So that's why in some of those scriptures that I read a moment ago and the scriptures before that, what Paul's doing is just giving them a quick history lesson. Saying, oh, you don't know about what happened out in the wilderness or the whole thing about this. So he sums it up real quickly. And then he gets to this place in verse 12 where he says, Be careful. Or you'll fall. Now, how many times have you heard that in your life, right? How many times has your mom said that? Your dad never said it, right? <laughs> he never said it. But your mother did. Get down from there. You're going to fall. We were at Costco the other night, and they, they're building these play sets. And my three-year-old grandson, he just loves that. And there's one. They've got it set up, like, on the shelf. They've built it and put it way up high where kids can't reach it. I mean, like, the bottom of it is this tall. As tall as me, like six, two, or three. So, uh, so it, that's the bottom of it. The rest of it goes up there. He comes up to me. He turns around and he says, Dandy, lift me up. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to play. I think, he's going to go up there and he's going to climb. And there's a part of me that thinks, yeah. And I'm thinking, no, judgment kicked in. And it's one of the very few times I've ever said, yeah, no, I don't think we can do that. It's not a really good idea. But you've done that whether you're walking on ice or whether you're going out on a slippery surface or whatever it is. Be careful. Be careful. You're going to fall. I'm not going to fall. I'm good. You know, and there there you go. That's happened to a lot of us. Well, what he's saying is your own confidence is not a strong enough defense. You think, I got this. You don't got this. You will probably fall and you'll be less likely... Uh, to be on guard 
If you're relying on your strength and your ability, your experience, your wisdom, how smart you are and how tough you are, and you think, yeah, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to do that. I would never go there. I would never do this. Well, you need to be really, really careful because you'll fall. In verse 13, he says, uh, he goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you. Uh, I'm kind of a verbs guy, so that, that, fast, that is interesting to me. Overtaking, what does that mean? And it really means somebody's like chasing you, and they catch up to you. You know how in the movies, and the bad guy's trying to get away, and the good guy gets to a place where he's got just enough time, and he takes one leap and catches the guy? That's exactly the word picture here that he's using. That this sin, this temptation, is just always following you around. And when it gets a chance, it's going to chase you down and jump on you. He says, so, you need to be careful uh, because this sin, this temptation, he says, has overtaken you. It's chased you down and seized you. And that sin, he says, is common to man. In other words, it is typical of human behavior. It's not unique to you or never been heard of. Uh, you're not special. I know mama told you you were, but maybe in some ways. Uh, but others have faced, believe it or not, exactly what you're facing and have been able to overcome it when they understood how. And they began, we began, all of us, right, uh, to stop relying. You know, we understood we've got to stop relying on our personal ability and my, you know, this resistance I can build into sin and to let Jesus do what he said he would do to help me to overcome that and to provide an escape for that. So if that's true, then how do I implement it? How do I, I do that? Well, up until now, there may be a sin in your life or a temptation that's really, really hard for you. You know, because we're all wired different. Remember the first week we said they, that, that the enemy will kind of tailor-make that for you and figure out what your passions and desires and appetites and, and kind of gear that towards you. If you're somebody who doesn't like chocolate, which is weird, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, they're probably not going to come up to you, you know, with a candy bar or something and go, hey, look what I got. You're going to go, no. I can resist that because there's something else that's going to work for you, okay? So he says, this is really common, but the, everybody has faced uh, some of those things and have, have been under that pressure. And what you've done up until now to get rid of the pressure is just do it. That's what Oscar Wilde said. You know, the best way to get rid of temptation is just to give in to it, <laughs> and then it's over. That sort of makes sense. And some of you, that's been your strategy. That's been the way you've dealt with this. Uh, but there's something really, really dangerous uh, about doing that because every time you give in, you create and enforce and entrench a neurological pathway in your brain that makes it easy for you to do that again the next time. You've been doing that since you were a little girl, since you were a young man. Bob Bill says that the most important age developmentally for a human being is nine years old, fourth grade. I don't know why that is, except that a lot of things fall into place, and that abstract part of your mind and the concrete part of your mind, it all comes together. 
And you're sort of deciding the kind of person you're going to be. And that happens again and again, I think, uh, as we go forward in life. Uh, but there's something about that. And by that time, there, there are these pathways in your brain that you have begun uh, to live by. And it sort of works like this. Uh, there's a really good artist that, uh, that, no, no, this is different. It's called the kindling effect. And you may have heard this if you've ever struggled with alcoholism or any other kind of addiction, where in the brain, there's like this little fire that's lit. There's a desire, and it's maybe a neutral thing, but you give in to it. And the next time that you're tempted with that, you think, wow, that seemed to... I kind of like that, and you know, or it, it, it did something. I got a buzz or whatever. So you, you kind of do it again. And it's called the kindling effect because you start off really small, but then look what happens. Over time, when you continue doing that, it, it physically, neurologically, spiritually, of course, but it becomes your go-to behavior. And after a while, you're addicted to a substance. Or a behavior. And you think, why can't... Ah, this is so hard. It doesn't seem that hard for other people. Because maybe for months or years or decades, that's become the path in your mind and in your heart. And it's harder. And it takes, actually, more. You have to raise the bar. And if you've ever been involved with chemicals or any other kind of behavior, you know, you notice that what you used to get a buzz with this much, now it takes a little more. And it takes something stronger. And you have to keep going because it doesn't remain static physically, emotionally, in any other way. That's called the kindling effect. It keeps adding more until you've got a fire. So you faced probably the temptation that bugs you the most. Why don't we just start? Let's just start with Kevin. Some of the some of the sins that you some of your favorite sins, um, <laughs> just not. But it's typically the sin that just eats your lunch. You know, that just really gets you. It's not the first time you've done it, right? It's not the first time you've been tempted by that. Probably the first time was you were five, four, six, eight years old. Isn't that crazy that the thing that just seems to defeat us is something you've struggled with? So the next time you face it, it's not going to be like, oh my goodness, I've never had to deal with this before. Yeah, you have, probably. This is not the first time you have faced that temptation, and it's not going to be the last. Now, there's a a key, there's a solution uh, for victory tucked away in, in that idea. Even though that sin or that temptation builds up resistance and you've adapted to it and you've, you've allowed that and it's, you know, what do you think? Wow, it would have been so much easier to put that fire out when it was just a little kindling, just a little match than it is now that it's this roaring blaze and we can't get it out. Well, that's because of what's happening in, you know, it, it involves all of you, but particularly in your mind. Okay, let me show you something that a famous artist drew here. It looks sort of... uh, doesn't look like a brain. I don't know what it looks like, but it's supposed to be one. But what's happening is that this drug you're addicted to, you already have and you carry it around with you all the time. You've got dopamine and then you're going to release serotonin. And that's going to give you this rush and this height. That's what it's doing. That's, That's why you feel good. 
because that's connected directly to the uh, pleasure centers that in, in your brain. And then there's this calm and this peace that kind of follows up because of serotonin. And you see, wow, that is really, I just get this. And, and the crazy thing about this is that, you know, that, that this craving that you begin to have, whether it's for sex or chocolate or cocaine or porn, uh, whatever it is, it's the same thing. It's the same activity that's occurring in your brain as for this other person. So uh, that's your reward. And so whatever it is that got you there, you know, and you, you think, wow, that's because... The cool thing about this, though, because you may feel defeated and you think, oh, great, this has been a problem since I was six years old. The brain is amazingly adaptable and can be rewired. And you can create a new path, a new pathway where something different can begin to occur and you become a new person. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm going to make you something different. I'm not just going to give you some, you know, ways to kind of struggle and, you know, keep... He says, no, you know what? The best thing for me to do is just to crucify you. Let's just kill all that and start fresh, brand new with new pathways. And this physically, it's amazing to me that this... Uh, because I always thought of that spiritually, that I'm a new person, you know, you're a new person in Christ. Absolutely true in a spiritual sense. But the way that it affects you is that you become new in all these other ways. It even affects you neurologically, mentally, emotionally, uh, as just uh, as a human being. So let's talk about that. And let's talk about how, well, then what do I do next? One thing I think that's really, really helpful is that if you will plan to be tempted, okay, you know it's going to happen again, right? You know you're going to be tempted again. You didn't just overcome this last temptation and go, oh, I'm so glad that's over. I'm done. I'm done. I've still got what? You know, you think I've got 50 years to live, and so I'm so glad I got that out of the way. No, you know. You know it's going to, you know it's going to come back around. Uh, and something else will come back around. So plan for it. Be smart. Think ahead about it. Uh, in fact, when he says that God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. You know, I mentioned earlier in the opening illustration that you don't wait until, you know, the building's on fire and then think, I wonder how you get out. You know, no, yeah, there's, is that one I can't see through the smoke? And no, you, you plan ahead of time for that. Same way, you plan ahead of time uh, to be able to get out of there. Now, there is this cool word picture here that you kind of don't see when you just read through this when he says, God will, with the temptation, provide, let's see what, uh, I'm not sure what your version says, a way of, mine says, provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Your version may say it a little differently, but it's kind of the same thing. What that literally means is, or the word picture that he was using is that you know, if you're in an army and you're under attack or there's a battle or maybe you're just walking along and all of a sudden you're attacked and you're kind of surrounded by thieves or thugs or an opposing army, you think, oh, wow, well, I'm going to be overwhelmed. There's no way. It's just me. And there's, you know, uh, 10 guys or whatever. and They're well armed and they've come against me. I'm not going to be able to fight my way out of this. But you look and you notice there's an alley or there's a door. 
Or in this day, it would often be like a mountain path. You know, this little passageway. And you think, oh, wow, I think I could get through there. But I can't. If they get any closer, if they're right here, then it's too late. So he says, plan ahead. Look at, find out where your exits are. And be ready to take that exit. You know, and to go for that uh, early on. And that's why we're told on airplanes and in theaters, this is where they are. Because they know in a moment of panic and a moment of pressure and stress, you're not going to be able to think clearly. You get it? Works the same way with temptation. Think ahead and find out where your exits are. Or you're just going to keep getting surrounded and overwhelmed. So let me give you some ideas, some strategies and some tools that maybe would help you with that. And one I'm going to mention, probably you've heard before, um, and maybe you've been disappointed because it sort of kind of worked, because it's one of those things that will only happen to the degree that you're real and that you're genuine with it and make it work. Maybe you've guessed where I'm headed with this, and it's accountability. To be accountable. If there's somebody, if there's a group, and I wish and I pray that our community groups would become so transparent and so open and just so genuine that you would be able to show up on a Sunday night or a Tuesday night and to say, hey, I'm just really struggling with this, and could you guys pray for me? And is there somebody I can call the next time I'm in this situation? And I, I just, I need an exit. You need to find somebody trustworthy, somebody you really have confidence in, uh, who you can be accountable to and make that genuine, either a person or a group uh, that you can just share your heart with. And they're not going to judge you. They're not going to repre- They're, they're going to be there and they're going to they're be one of your escape routes. They're going to pull you out of this and say, I'm on my way over there. Or listen, I'm going to talk you down. Just stay on the phone. Somebody, a place consistently where you can be accountable. Why did I start with that? Because it just works. When you make it work, it really works. The second thing is uh, just don't put yourself in easy situations. You know, if you're struggling with alcohol, don't go to the bar tonight. Uh, you know, if you you kind of get that, uh, but sometimes we don't. We think, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna go over there. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna. And you and you and you, you can keep doing that. But what do you do? And that's foolish. No, go the other way. You need some boundaries. And when I say accountability, and when I say boundaries, most of us think, wow, this is starting to not get really fun really fast because nobody likes boundaries, right? And nobody likes accountability and all of that. No, this is you doing this. This is not somebody else. It's not your mama or just, you know, your coach or your dad or your pastor saying, here's your boundaries and here's your accountability, and I've decided this, I'm going to hand it to you. Because then... Your mind's already trying to figure out how to get around it, right? It's like when the teacher says, you know, well, you got to do this, this, and this. Or your boss says, I need it by this. And you're thinking, okay, you're already starting to figure out. The IRS says, here's the rule. And you're looking for ways to get around that. But if you establish it, and it's your boundary, and you're, uh, you've set that accountability, you're a lot more likely uh, to stick to it. So don't put yourself in a situation where you're just asking for trouble. Just don't go there, okay? Uh, Third thing is, uh, and this is just a little trick, but I think it works, okay? Because when you're at that moment and you think, oh, I'm about to get, I don't know what to do, and this is really a hard temptation, say to yourself, commit to yourself, 
I'm going to wait 15 minutes. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do it. For, I'm going to give myself 15 minutes. You might not have the strength in the moment to say, I'm never going to do this again, ever. But you can say, I'm not going to do this for the next 15 minutes. You see, now you've given yourself a new guideline. And there's like, and when you do that, you're going to feel the pressure go, ah, now you've got 15 minutes to call somebody, to get out of there, to go, to, uh, to pray, to, to read scripture. I mean, there's all these other things you can begin uh, to move towards because you've got 15 minutes. I'm going to suggest you call somebody. You call one of your friends, call somebody you're accountable to and say, hey, I am right, I'm standing right outside the door and I'm about to go in. Or, I, you know, uh, can you, yeah, I'm, I'm going to help you. Hebrews 4.15 is a fascinating scripture because it says, we do not have a high priest, who, priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in, look at this, catch this, in every respect has been tempted as we are. Without sin. He knows. He knows your heart. He knows the situation you're in. He knows how strong that temptation is. And did you know? I mean, it's not a sin to be tempted, right? We've said that several times. Not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. And not only was he tempted, but in the same ways. I know you probably think that he was tempted in a more noble, spiritual, higher. No, he was tempted just like you. He was tempted in every way you are. So, uh, t- take that. Now, there's another thing, and this is what Jesus did, and this is uh, one of the mechanisms or strategies that he used, and it's beautiful, is the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 uh, is a familiar scripture. You may have learned this when you were a little kid. It says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. His Word is this powerful antidote. It, 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 it keeps you from sin. Because you're able to recognize the sin. And I suggest you just say it out loud. I am tempted right now to eat this entire bag of <laughs> fill in the blank. Um, okay, and, and, you, and you just say it out loud. Now you've identified it. But there's something powerful about the Word of God. And it's your best. For, this can help you so much. Now, if you memorized it then you're going to have it in the moment. And you know what the cool thing is? is You don't even have to try to think, what was that scripture? This is crazy, but you try this. You find a scripture that's kind of the opposite of your temptation, you know, like that is is the thing that would just say, yeah, don't do that, or do this instead of that. And when you're in that moment, it's just going to come to your mind. Try it. You don't even have to think, oh, I wish I, could, I wish I had that scripture on me. The Holy Spirit's going to go, oh, we've got some ammunition now. I'm just going to plug that right into the situation. It's just going to pop into your head and into your heart. Now, I suggest uh, that you make scripture a, just a part of your lifestyle. It just strengthens you. It gives you sustenance in a different way than almost anything else I can think of. And the best way to do this, if you're going to be tempted, it may not come at 3 o'clock every day or 1 o'clock or, you know, tonight. You don't know. It's just kind of random. So go ahead early in the day and get some scripture. 
That's, I don't have a verse for you about that. I'm just telling you, it just kind of works. When, when you start your day as soon as you can, sometime early in the morning, and I know for early for some of you is 5 a.m., early for some of you is noon, <laughs> whatever early t- is, looks like for you, get some scripture. Uh, read it and meditate on it and memorize it and, and apply it. Look for practical ways. Uh, and another suggestion I have is just to stop and pray. And I know you don't want to, and in the moment, you know, and I'm not talking about religious, you know, mumbo-jumbo kind of prayers, you know, that kind of stuff, memorize things. Just stop and just be totally transparent and honest. Lord, I just really, really want to do this right now. I really want to go. And would you just help me? I don't know what to do, and I'm just really scared. And you pull him into the situation and recognize what's already true is that he's there. He is there. He's there with you all the time. And you're just... You're just becoming aware of that. And uh, you're just kind of saying, Lord, I just want to communicate to you right now. There's something that just defuses the situation when you realize, oh, I'm not alone. He's with me. Some really good advice is uh, this next one. It's tucked away in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 10, 14. I'll just read those both. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then look at this next. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You see the verb? It works for just about every sin. (laughs) You can try to fight it, and you can try to, you know, do all that. Just run. Just run. Just run. How simple is that? Okay, just get out of there. Just get out of there. The other thing I mentioned, you know, as far as in, you know, like with the illustration of the exit signs, is to have a plan. Have a plan ahead of time. Don't wait until you're there and you're in the moment and you think, I don't know what to do, and now I'm not feeling so good. I'm feeling, you start coming up with ways to rationalize it, right? And you start coming up with ways to think, Okay, maybe this is one time, but not then, then after this. I'm serious. I mean it. You know, you're you're going to go in all those kind of directions. So just go ahead and have a plan ahead of time. Go ahead and think when, the, when this happens, the next time this happens, this is what I'm going to do or this. Now you've got an escape route. Um, because all of you is involved with this. Let me show you this. I just I, I drew this uh, the other day. Um, this is, this is something that's happening to you. It's, it's, it's a mental thing. It's emotional. It's relational. It's absolutely spiritual. That's at the core of who you are because you're a new person. And it's affecting you biologically and neurologically in ways you're not even aware of. And you think, why am I so powerless against this? Because it's an all-out attack. Remember, it's filtered. It's an all-out attack against all of you. And see, so you thought it was just a physical temptation or you just thought, oh, this is an emotional temptation. I'm just being, I'm just really tempted to, to be like this and be. No, it's, it's you as a complete person, as a man or a woman. And so if you just try to fight this at one of these levels, well, I, I, I realize this is biological, so I'm just going to fight it at that level. And he's got all these other places of entry into your heart, into your life, and your behaviors. So you need to fight, you know, you need to allow the fact that... Um, there's a plan that's going to take care of all of that, that you're not going to be able to think of in, in the moment. And then something we do with our grandkids, and you maybe do with your children, uh, that I think God wants to do with us sometimes, is just to redirect us. 
You know, you want to do this, I want to do this, and instead of saying, no, 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 then go another way. Pick something else. If you're like really hungry and there's a box of duck donuts or Krispy Kremes or status or whatever, the, you know, the donut you like, whatever it is, and it's there and it's like a whole pile of them and you think, but I'm so hungry and I've got to eat something, well, go somewhere else. Go to the deli and get a salad. <laughs> but, okay, um, so the idea, I think, sometimes in resisting sin is to say, I'm just going to say I'm not hungry. I'm going to pretend I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry, so I'm just not going to eat. You know what's going to happen? You're just going to get hungrier and hungrier, right? But if you redirect yourself, this is, probably, this is a terrible illustration because you're sitting there thinking, I'm eating a donut. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, but if you were to eat something else and get really full, and then we come to you with a big plate of donuts, you'd go, yeah, no, you know what? I'm full. I'm, it's not as tempting right now because I've redirected myself into another behavior. You plug that into whatever. And then uh, practice good self-care. I think most of us are going to be more susceptible to temptation when you're hungry, when you're sleepy, when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're hurt, when you're feeling sorry for yourself. When, well, I deserve this because this, you know, and, and you're going to fall. So take care of yourself. That just makes sense, right? Just take care of yourself. Uh, and remember, I put this t- toward the end here, but by no means do I think it's the, like the last one or when all else fails. This is the foundation. This is the foundation of being able to resist temptation. Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, you have a new identity You're a different person. You're in Christ now. I was thinking as we watched that video a moment ago, you know, just a few minutes ago about the Memorial Day, which in the beginning, you know, it was like Decoration Day for Civil War veterans who had died. And and it became later, you know, Memorial Day for all of those who've who've died in, in battle to set us free. And just for a moment, I thought, oh, Jesus, you died so that I could be free. Now, you've heard that a lot. Maybe you've sung that in songs or, you know, you've said that. Jesus died to set me free. No, he really did. He died so that you don't have to. He died to give you the ability to overcome temptation. You don't have to die again. Today can be your personal memorial day. You say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's his strength, his power that is resisting within me. It's so much easier, it's so much more successful than you continuing to try and to fail again and again. Just let Jesus be who he is in you and through you. It's an amazing difference. I know, I can tell when I'm trying to resist something in my flesh... And how far that's going to get me. And when I'm in Christ. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm just going to walk in the Spirit. And let your Spirit be my strength. And not me have to worry about it. And me have to man up and try to do that. So even though the issue in this particular text today was, you know, well, I'm free in Christ. And idols are not even real. And 
It doesn't matter what we eat. And Paul says, yeah, you're kind of right, and I sort of get what you're saying, but you're confusing people. And, you know, you're hurting other believers who are not in that same place as you. So when you make your decision, don't think about just yourself. Have you ever been tempted to sin and to do something, and you kind of told yourself, well, I'm not, it's not hurting anybody else? Like, that's our excuse? Okay, well, I guess it's okay as long as you're not hurting a lot of other people. And so we think it's, you know, that somehow gives us a license. You know what? You, you probably are uh, more than you realize. Because just because something is permitted doesn't necessarily make it a smart thing to do or a beneficial thing or a wise thing to do. And you may be a part of something so much bigger than yourself that you didn't realize. For instance, and I'll say this to, to parents or to even to if you have brothers and sisters that you live in a house with or uh, if you have children or grandchildren, uh, there may be something bigger at stake than just you in that moment overcoming that particular sin. For instance, look how this works. Again, um, there's, a, there's a temptation to tell a lie. Remember that Abraham lied about Sarah in Genesis chapter 12, and he told those lies, and he's convinced himself, but I'm doing it for the right reason. And I've got a good motivation, so I tell this lie. Well, then Isaac comes along. What does he do? Does he do what you say do, or does he do what you do? <laughs> he lies about Rebecca in Genesis chapter 26. And is it any wonder that then along comes Jacob, and what does he do? He tells a lie. Because by this point, in this family, generationally, lying seems to get us where we need to be. And it's just kind of the, uh, this works, and it's going to kind of take us forward. So we just tell a lie. So Abraham lies, and then Isaac lies, and then Jacob lies to Isaac. And then, guess what happens as the next generation comes along? They're liars. <laughs> the Joseph's brothers lie to their father. With a straight face, they've not only committed this crime and done this, this heinous act, but then they can lie about it so easy because, you know what, they've had generations teaching them how to do that. Except for one, Joseph. And he's not the biggest and the oldest and the smartest. He's not any of those things. He's just one of the guys. There's nothing remarkable about him, and he's been victimized. So for those of you who think, yeah, but you don't know what else happened to me. I'll bet you you haven't had everything happen to you that happened to Joseph. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You'd probably trade to say, well, do you want to be like him or do you want to keep going? I'll take what I'm going through. Because uh, he just had this, all these horrible things happened. But within his circumstances, surrounded by other liars, which would have given him permission, he chooses to tell the truth and to live his life with integrity. And his life takes a completely different trajectory than all those who've gone before him. Joseph broke the chain. He set a new uh, standard of behavior in his family. Your temptation and the thing that's really hard for you, maybe it's not just about you. Maybe you thought you were special and that the enemy just wants to wreck you. No, you know what? Yeah, he hates you and he'd love to have, for that to happen to you. 
but he hates everybody. And he wants to come against those that you love the most and that will come after you. And if he can do that through you, don't think he won't. So he'll attack you and make you fall so that he can bring all those down. Your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your brothers and your sisters. Or he can break the chain through your behavior and set those people around you free in ways you will never know. Maybe when we get to heaven, but you'll never know how the choices you made saved people around you and generations to follow you. You make good choices and resist temptations now. Would you stand? And I just want to pray over you again this week uh, that God would use some of these tools in your life and some of these strategies that we've talked about today, that it wouldn't be just something you listen to on a Sunday morning, you know, um, on a Memorial Day weekend, but you think, oh, wow, now I've got some tools. Now I understand what's happening in my brain and in my spirit and in my heart. I- I'm not so uh, ill-prepared. I can plan an escape route. God's going to provide that for me. I'm going to think ahead, and I'm going to make this work. And when you begin to do this, that temptation that at one time in your life seemed so strong and you never thought you could, whatever it is, whatever it is for you, you can look back on it one day and go, Isn't that something that used to have such a hold on me? And now, I don't even care about that. You'll see. But you got to do it. Father, I want to thank you for for this moment. I thank you for these folks. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and your love in our lives. You're absolutely amazing. Jesus, I want to thank you that you faced all these temptations. You didn't keep yourself hidden away in an ivory tower or a bubble somewhere and and just think, no, I'm not going to. But you actually went through it too to set us free and to be our strength. And you died on the cross for us so that temptation wouldn't be the end of us, that you wouldn't allow us to crash like that, but that you are faithful and you would even provide a way of escape. Father, I thank you for that. And I thank you for whatever it is that folks are struggling with today. It's probably a lot of different things in this room, but a lot of the same things. I pray that through these tools and these strategies you've given us this morning, that you would help us, Father, to go forward in victory. And we may not get it right every time, may not get it right the first time, but Lord, I think as you continue to do this, that uh, we're going to get traction and move forward and have victory, and you're just doing something beautiful and different. Would you begin that right now in people's hearts? I pray that we would commit to you uh, this week to walk in the Spirit. And you're going to set us free, and it's going to feel so good not to be in bondage anymore. Thank you. I trust you to do that, and I'll go ahead and give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name.